Welcome to The Open Door with Kelly and Kelly. Brought to you by Legendary Living Arts and Waking Way Productions. Join us each week for guest interviews and discussions on a variety of topics. We invite you to connect. Today on the podcast, we want to welcome Michelle Stockatelny, who is a spiritual medium and has been connecting people all over the world with their loved ones and spirit guides for many years. As a trained end-of-life doula, she's devoted to supporting people who are preparing to make their final transition from this physical world. In addition to her work as a medium and doula, Michelle offers teachings on many different topics to help those who are interested in enhancing their own intuitive abilities and strengthening their trust in themselves as they navigate their own unique healing journeys. So welcome, Michelle. We are so glad to have you today. Thanks for having me, both of you. (laughs) So there seems to be a lot of things that you do. So what would you like to start off talking with us about today? Uh, Well, I mean, given the current state of things and how, um, you know, end of life doulas or death doulas are starting to become like more emergent in in Canada, in the sense that there are more of us now than there ever were. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy to talk about that, you know, and as well as how it correlates to what I've been doing for all this time in terms of uh, connecting people with their loved ones and spirit guides. Um, so, I mean, as a, a death doula, um, I mean, one of the main reasons I became a death doula was because I've spent so much of my career helping people and supporting them in their deep grief and recognizing that I just felt like there's a better way for people to die uh, and for us to approach that time in our lives. Um, I see the after effects with, uh, you know, a lot of guilt, a lot of regret, a lot of what ifs, or if I only knew that may have, you know, all possibly been able to be um, dealt with a little bit before their loved ones died. So I, I'm really passionate about trying to help people plan or think about their death well so that they can live well. It's That's really what being a death doula is, is living your best life until you die. <laughs> That sounds excellent. It's nice to to know someone who's doing that. And it was something that I was very interested in when I heard that you were doing this in particular. And to learn about why you really wanted to, to get into it. Because I know I've listened to some other podcasts and webinars of people who are death doulas and who do that. And it sounds like such a very beautiful thing. And they're very honored to be doing that and to be helping people through that process. Mm-hmm. So it, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. It sounds like for you, that's very much the same. It is, it is a tremendous honor to not only support or be um, a part of, you know, either someone who's, you know, their dying journey or their, you know, also being a support to their family, their loved ones, their friends. Um, and, you know, also beyond just being a, a human death doula, I'm also an animal companion death doula. So helping mm-hmm. families work towards, um, you know, planning or preparing or even, you know, making plans for, say, a vigil for their dying animal companion. Um, you know, just like humans can pre-plan or do mm-hmm. advanced care planning, there's no reason for us not to do the same for our animal companions because too often we, we do that when we have no choice. And that's actually quite the same for humans. The topic is avoided at all costs until it can't be avoided. And then de- big decisions, massive decisions, are made when we're in a, a state of shock or mm-hmm. deep, deep grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the more we talk about death and dying and what it means to us or what we want it to look like, you know, obviously much like with making a birth plan, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be perfect, but 
it gives us the opportunity to have our voice heard, our opinions, our preferences, our desires, our wishes heard so that, you know, decisions can be made with, like, it, it's like having an informed decision as opposed to, you know, dealing with the aftermath of, I hope that they're happy with my choices because I don't know, I did not know what they wanted. And that's often what we see in this, this life is that people don't know what people wanted because no one talked about it. Mm -hmm. True. Yep. Yeah, it's all about true. communication. Did you have something? Yeah, actually, I was actually <laughs> hoping um, to ask you if you could clarify what exactly a death doula is and how you actually became a death doula. Absolutely. So a death doula or end of life doula is a non-medical support for much like a birth doula. They we're not there to medicate. We're not there to diagnose. We're not there to prescribe. We are non-medical. So we're there to help in the emotional, possibly spiritual, depending on each person's individual uh, needs and preferences. Um, you know, we're there to support people in not only, um, you know, possibly creating their advanced care plans, informing, providing resources, providing um, information that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know about. There are certain um, forms specific to each province or state if you live in the US. Um, that are, you know, pertinent to creating one's uh, final plans um, that, you know, most people, again, don't find out until it's either very, very close to that time or that time has already passed. Mm. And so, um, you know, sometimes death doulas are called in when someone isn't facing a life-limiting illness. They just want to talk about their options because, you know, either they have advancing age or possibly they're genetically predisposed to right. a certain condition. Um, or they've even, you know, required or, or, you know, say they have a chronic illness and they don't know where that trajectory is going to take them because sometimes there are certain illnesses that can have a very steep decline over a very short amount of time. So it's it can be very liberating to have your plans in place. And so sometimes we're called in well before um, someone is dying. On, on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we're called in when it's almost too late to plan anything and we're just simply there to be present, to bring that calming um, supportive presence to the dying or their family. So that can look like, um, you know, being there to provide, uh, you know, support during a vigil, which means if someone is at home and active dying, you know, trying to make their preferences known and met. So say if they want a peaceful, quiet room, but the family, you know, wants to be in there at once, you know, the, the doula can um, quietly and calmly make the wishes known. But of course, we, we can't take the lead. We are there to support yep. the family right. as well as the dying person. Um, and in terms of how I became a death doula, there are a number of uh, reputable courses. The one I took was um, from Douglas College in British Columbia, but they, they pre-pandemic were being run throughout Canada and now they're online. Um, but in addition to that, I've been taking many other courses and classes and workshops, um, such as the Palette of Manitoba Compassionate Care Course, which I highly recommend to anyone mm. who's interested. And so I'm also a volunteer with Palette of Manitoba um, yeah, and there's 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 other courses that a lot of people take some from the states or you know worldwide. Um, it's death doulas are much more prevalent in the states and and uh, in Europe. But again, we are becoming more and more well known in Canada now. Right on. Um, yeah, and I I think that's great. I I really feel like that's something that's needed, like not only right now but just when I was, when you were talking earlier, one thing that was coming up for me was when I was really young, I think I was 10 or 11. And when my, my grandmother had passed away and as a, as a young child, it was, 
she had gone in the hospital once and she'd come home. So you have that expectation, I think, as a kid that, oh, everything's going to be okay. And then the second time that she she went in, or maybe it was the third, I mean, you know, memories can be a little fuzzy, but the the impact of her not coming home and then how angry I felt and just not really knowing how to talk about it or even how to process it sometimes. Like it took me quite a few years before I was able to really process through that, I think, because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. It wasn't something, death wasn't something that we talked about. And I mean, I had other family members who had passed on too and not had been affected so much, but I think I was very close to her. So just really like it, it, it hurt. And I actually remember having a meditation once where she had come to visit me and say that she's okay and that she's proud of me. And she had messages for me to give to people in my family. And, you know, I was so much older than when that happened. I was like, wow, I wish I had been open to that as a child or even knew how to, to do that. So I think that what you're doing is such a wonderful thing. You and, and the other death doulas out there, because it's wonderful to have for people to have that support to talk about things that maybe they aren't comfortable talking about with their families mm-hmm. but it's sometimes easier to talk to a, a person who's non or non-partial is that the word impartial or impartial there we go yeah, yeah who's impartial or neutral yeah. or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely yeah. that's why we also um i host something called death cafe and so these are just free gatherings obviously online right now but in person eventually again where people can just gather and talk about death and dying and what it means to them. And often, as you say, you know, this is the one place where they can talk about it freely. Um, because often, you know, there's sometimes there's people in a family who really want to talk about it, but they get shut down. No one wants to talk about death because it's like, if we talk about it, it's like we're inviting it, but really the, yeah. it could be more opposite. You know, if we talk about it, then we're not only demystifying the, the whole idea of death and dying, but we're making it an okay and safe space to talk about difficult things. Because with death, of course, comes grief. And as you say, like most of us growing up, weren't taught how to grieve. We weren't taught that it was okay to grieve. Or like, you know, sometimes we're told to basically push it all down and it comes <laughs> yeah. up 10, yep. 20, 30 yeah. years later. And so the more we right now in our culture work towards accepting and you know, moving away from being a death denying society, the, the less grief phobic we'll become. We'll actually embrace our grief and learn how to work through it as opposed to trying to repress and force it to go away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the uh, culture before the Industrial Revolution had a lot more community-based support mechanisms in it exactly like uh, our modern day death doulas and the work that you're doing, it was basically, you know, a given fact that there were people in a culture, in a community mm-hmm. who, who had this role. And, you know, it's, it's really great to see that this um, aspect of accepting the journey through life is coming back to the surface and is becoming uh, a present factor in, in our, our modern, and I say that loosely, our modern day society. Absolutely. Well, it's very true before, you know, there, um, you know, we have these, what we call living rooms now, but, you know, many, many years ago, they were called parlor rooms. And that's where bodies of our loved ones were kept and everyone would come and pay their respects. And they were kept there for up to three days. And, you know, obviously cooler room and and all of that to to ensure that things were okay. But death wasn't hidden behind the scenes. 
and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the funeral uh you know business that they have their absolute place but at the same time we're so far removed from death and dying we're so far removed from illness right now that it, it's become something that we're scared of and something that we just don't want to think about and so even those who are on their way say they've been diagnosed with a life-limiting illness there are some people who just refuse to talk about their own death and dying and that can be very unfortunate because it makes that journey maybe less sacred or maybe less meaningful we can find a lot of meaning and purpose in our journey uh, yes. and that can be something that a death doula brings to you helps you with and even um, offers suggestions or resources that can make this journey you know not just um, you know, meaningful, but something that brings a family together, possibly working on doing some legacy work or, uh, you know, helping to reduce stress through means of like meditation and, and all of that, you know, non-medical uh, pain relief is a big part of death doula work where we can, you know, depending on what the person wants, aromatherapy, guided meditations, you know, that kind of thing, palliative massage. I mean, there's so many options that aren't well known yet, but hopefully throughout the years they will be. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, too, in the last year, we've seen or we've heard about really so many people who've passed away in long term care homes that are alone, that haven't had people around. And I feel that that's something that's sort of a, been a detriment to our society where we sort of put, you know, the elderly off by themselves or, you know, yeah. sick people are off in a hospital and, and yeah. you know, we don't go yeah. visit them. But we, but that wasn't always the case. That wasn't what we used to do. We used to have those people around and comfort them and, and nurture them and, and nurture ourselves as well. And we don't, that's not something that we, we do very much. Yeah. We, so. we distance ourselves and we just disassociate from the reality of, you know, people getting older or, you know, that, that end of life portion of life. Right. you're absolutely right like we used to have mm -hmm. you know in, again before the industrial revolution before the need to have like people working all the time and our time constraints by you know producing things for people to buy you know the community we, if someone was sick or or near the end there are all there are all these rituals and these ceremonies mm -hmm. and these whole you know community events to celebrate the life of the person who was who was passing on well, that's just, and that's why, you know, death doulas aren't new. We're just, you know, becoming known again. Um, you know, mm -hmm. that's exactly it. Like we're, you know, we can bring ritual back. We can bring ceremony. We can bring meaning to what is a very natural and normal part of life. And I feel like the more we plan for death, the more we think about it, the more we discuss it, obviously not just the greater we can live, but also it definitely changes the tone of how we grieve after a loved one has died. Yeah. And that everything doesn't perhaps have to be a trauma that we hold on to. Like earlier you were talking about how sometimes we feel guilt around someone's death or we don't know what to do or we're overwhelmed. And if we have support to help us through those things, and like you said, you don't take the lead on it and tell people what to do, but just sort of guide them through and help them be calm or process their emotions so that they have a calmer space with which to actually figure out yeah. what's going on yeah. and how they feel you know we don't have then have to hold on to all those other things later absolutely you know? mm -hmm. yeah so how long have you been a death doula then so um just 
a year and I guess about four months I've been technically like considered a deaf doula. I've been yeah. doing um, you know, I have a counseling background, so I've been working with people in deep. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go, go there. I wanted to yeah. how so, you yeah. got into everything. So keep going. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I've been working with people in deep grief for, you know, almost two decades. And so, and of course, being a spiritual medium, I've been doing that for a very long time as well. And so it was a very natural kind of role for me to go into because now it's not just the after um, after death that I'm, I'm helping with or supporting people through. It's the before, during, and after. And this is very meaningful to me because I feel like the, the better we handle the before and during, the, the much more different the after is going to be. And so I, I you know, can't learn enough. I have been, you know, like, as I say, taking many courses and learning from other death doulas. And you know, even just talking about it with people, uh, many professionals, even like palliative nurses and, and all of that, like hospice workers or hospice volunteers, there is such a wealth of knowledge out there, um, you know, for those who are interested in it. And I can't recommend learning about this more enough because, you know, there, there's, there's such a need for it. And it is such a, um, like beyond just being an honor to be with those who are dying, we can learn so much. I mean, the, there are so many books uh, written about nearing death awareness. And so there's such a spiritual component to mm. death if mm. we allow ourselves to be open right. to it. Um, you know, and, and often like in the, the medical field, sometimes people will say, well, they're, they're delirious because of medication. But there, there is a medical difference between what one might um, experience in terms of hallucination versus, you know, a literal visit or, you know, seeing loved ones who have died. There is quite a difference. Um, they, and they, I can't name the study offhand, but they have done, you know, work to prove that it's not hallucination. Yep. And so it's such an amazing opportunity to be in a room with someone who is dying and feeling that shift of energy. And you often, people don't talk about, it. that's the other thing is that everyone has their stories about this, but very few people feel comfortable talking about it. And talking with about it. exactly. Well, yeah. because, because they don't want people to take that away from them. You know, and like there, there are so many where they just say, well, that was, they were just hallucinating because it's their comfort. They're not ready to talk about what happens after yeah. that. Yeah. So, right. You know, people just keep it to themselves. And, and that's kind of sad too, because imagine what this world could feel like if we could share openly our, amazing experiences with death without feeling like we have to keep it to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Because even for a few years, like after it took a long time, like when I did have the meditation and I talked with my grandmother, you know, I didn't tell a lot of people, you know, I, t I told the few people, you know, that she had messages too. And some are a little, you know, skeptical. And I was like, well, that's fine. You, you can be that way. But I didn't tell anyone like out, you know, out at large or of a, a larger friend group because a lot of people just think you're a little you know yeah. wacky if you have experiences like that but the truth is I've had those kinds of experiences myself like my whole life I just don't talk about them because no one else around me speaks about them yep. so it's it's nicer mm -hmm. now to have more people in my life that I can say hey I've had this experience like this is you know and this is something that's important to me well and the thing is it is actually extremely common and extremely normal and we have to talk about it. If we don't start talking about it, it'll never become normalized. Just like learning to yeah. talk about death and dying with yep. our children. I, I you know, there, mm -hmm. we, our, our um, intrinsic instinct, I guess, is to shelter and protect. But the thing is, we're not. All we're doing is creating adults who have no idea how to deal with death, dying, or grief. So the more we include our children exactly. from this age and make it part of a normal conversation, 
the more, again, we're not creating a, a you know, strictly death phobic uh, society. Yeah, exactly. Which, which heals yeah. trauma, which heals, you know, Absolutely. there's a whole, whole range of, of issues that can be connected directly to the denial of emotions Absolutely. and the stress that that causes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is, I do feel it. it's really important to talk about those kind of things. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, think. like, like, it's hard, like but... yourself, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my experience with death mm-hmm. was at a very young age where my, my asthma would almost kill me on a regular basis. Yes, you're yourself. You're actually, yeah. My, my, mm-hmm. Yeah, my personal direct experience and, you know, trying to talk to my friends about, <laughs> you know, the lights and the people I talk to and blah, blah, blah. And just, and like, it's like, are you sure it wasn't the drugs? I'm like, I was like unconscious. I, you know, right. as a, as a kid, you, you, you don't have that filter. You don't have that adult conditioning of not to say things <laughs> except yeah. I learned I learned yeah. at a very young age that even even my friends who were you know my age and you know six seven eight mm-hmm. were like didn't want to talk about it yeah. and you know my my mom was good my mom was good talking about it because she had had some of her own experiences so it was nice growing up having that support mm-hmm. but it was it, you know it was really obvious how you know even adults just you know, did not want to even like talk about it. Yeah, even hint at a conversation about you know anything that exists beyond the veil, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and that, and that's you know we have to wonder where did that all come from? Why have we chosen to hide it? We don't, you know, we don't gain anything by pretending it doesn't exist. Exactly. And, you know, all we do is create this this worry, and you know, it's 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 very unhealthy for us to pretend that we're not going to die. I mean, we, we are, everyone we know will. And why aren't we talking about this? Why can't we normalize it so that, you know, it's not only demystified, but it's also embraced as maybe a rite of passage or a natural transition. Um, because often, you know, uh, when someone's kind of reaching the end of life stage, they may still be looking for, say, a cure to something that cannot be cured. Yeah, right. As opposed to what could it, they do with the quality of life they have right now? What can they do with the time they have left? as opposed to, you know, there are even medical professionals who do not feel comfortable telling the patient that they are dying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because no, again, no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to face the fact. So, you know, we'll we'll try this, we'll try that. But ultimately, you know, if if that person's going to die, they they have a right to know, you know, what they have to look forward to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to deliver the bad news, Mm -hmm. except I suppose that's how you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because on some level, if you're a patient who's really ill, like I think, I think, you know, I mean, I, yeah, like I know with my grandfather and my uncle that when they were really sick, when I connected with them, there was a point at which I could tell and they looked at me and I looked at them and we knew that this is we need to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, we said goodbye and maybe they did. I know for both of them, they didn't pass on right away, but I had, we had done that together. And then some people don't really understand that and think that you need to be doing this or that, or how can you be okay with something? And it's like, well, but just, I, I knew that this was what was happening. They knew that this was what was happening and we all made our peace together. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think you're right. Like we don't want to talk about it and say it out loud, but I think on some level, 
when you're connected to people, you know if something's not right with them or if something's going to happen and vice versa, right? So, but those are things we don't talk about. We don't talk about the things that can't be, that are hard to explain, like the, the energy that can be exchanged between people. And, and that's a real thing. And it is being talked about a lot more, I think. Mm -hmm. There's just some people that still don't want to believe that that's happening. <laughs> Right. right. And also language matters. I and mean, we, we still think we still say things like they lost their battle with cancer. You know, it death is not the enemy. And when we start to mm -hmm. stop yeah. know, looking at death as an enemy or a fight that's to be won, I mean, ultimately, whether it's, you know, whenever it happens, I mean, death is not the enemy. It is a natural transition that we're all going to go through at one point or another. So if we change the terminology or the the common phrases, you know, uh, you know, keep fighting. It's like, well, but that person might know that it's their time to go home or time to go back to spirit or time to die, whatever, however you want to call it. Um, and it doesn't mean they're giving up. And, and sometimes people fight longer, you know, to use the term, mm -hmm. simply because their their loved ones are encouraging them not to give up. Right. Maybe you know, surrendering to what is. And accepting what it is actually, um, you know, it's it's strength. It's it's you know, such a, a an important aspect to get to. If we can get to that place mentally, then you know we're not going to feel like we have to keep on doing something that isn't what we like. You know, when you're doing something that isn't working for you, yeah. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. That okay, death is coming, and what do I want to do with my time? That can be a much different mindset to have then absolutely like fighting 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 but you know is it fighting or is it denying yeah mm, that's a good point yeah mm -hmm. it's like you reminded me too as you're talking about um, animals as well that when uh, we are we had our dog last year passed away well we had and we had to put her down she wasn't well and we knew it was time she knew it was time and it was so cute because she she was just like looking at us all like, are you guys sure you're going to be okay? Yeah. I got to go, but are you guys sure? And we're like, yes, it's fine. Like you can let go. And yeah. I still get teary a little bit, but you know, that was real for all of us. Well, she was such a, a bundle of joy and, yeah. and it was such an amazingly happy, positive um, presence in, in, in the house and for all of us. And it was sort of like one of those things where it's like, how can like you're you're past your transition yeah. and you're still there's just this bundle of light and yeah. joy and happy and yeah. playful and it's just like wow okay that's yeah. all right they have a lot yeah, of, yeah. they accept it and they yeah. aren't afraid you know and, and yeah. we can really get to that like not that's not to romanticize death i mean death isn't always pretty it isn't yes. always you know, lovely. It's not, I mean, it's certainly nothing like how it is in the movies, of course, but, you know, even right. a <laughs> yeah. death, even an expected death doesn't ne necessarily mean it's going to be beautiful in, in the sense that we might perceive it to be. But that doesn't make it a bad death. You know, right. the body does what it does, but how we approach it, how we um, reach that place, and how we support our loved ones who are going there, that's kind of the important thing. That's what we have control over. We cannot control how. The body dies but we can certainly you know do our best to to work as a team to work together to create the the most peaceful and um you know loving calm compassionate passing as possible yeah 
Yeah. And to help each other through that too. <laughs> when we, yeah. when we actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been a spirit medium? Have you been that connected to all your life since you were a child? You know, when did you know that this was something that you wanted to help people with? Mm-hmm. Or was it something, you know, that you maybe denied about yourself because some people do for a while or? Yeah, no, there's definitely no denial. Um, I, yeah, I've definitely been a medium my entire life, but you know, like with a lot of things, the, it, it emerged mostly after I turned 13 and then much more when I turned 16. And so I didn't know what I was doing at first. Um, mm. as I would say things to friends or to people, or, you know, right. in my life and they're like, what? <laughs> Where, how do you know <laughs> okay. that? And so yeah. there's, there's a lot of that, yeah. um, you know, you kind of get classified as the strange person. But um, mm-hmm. when I learned what a medium was, then I was like, oh, that's it. I, because I, when I was 13, I kind of felt like, you know, like a lot of 13 year olds, a spiritual void. I'm like, I'm joking. Most 13 year olds aren't looking for the religion or the spirituality, but I, I really was at 13. I was like, something is missing and I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. But then when I started to work in a bookstore and I found um, the term medium, I'm like, oh, there it is. And everything made sense. Nice. So yeah, and so my spirit guides um, made themselves known to me about the age of 16. I've been developing as a medium ever since. And so I never refer to it as a gift. I feel like it's an ability that I've likely worked on for many previous lifetimes, That which is why to some it might seem like it comes very naturally this time, but I have no doubts that I've worked very hard on this um, before. And so professionally, I've been a medium um, for about I guess what 15 16 years now mm-hmm. um, yeah and I've been teaching that the whole time too especially about spirit guides and how to open up and to connect um, you know it's not to say that everyone is going to be a medium but I always recommend that anyone who's interested in intuitive development or learning about their guides to do so because you know whatever we learn in this world we take with us to the next and again should we reincarnate if that's something you believe in I suppose um, so no matter how far you get with any aspect of learning in this life it can be you know brought with us and so we kind of start off where we left off next time and so there, there's no wasted uh, amount of learning in this life it's it's so important that we explore our capabilities especially the things that we're interested in and unfortunately all too often i'm, I'm only you know there are a lot of people who only choose to learn after retirement because they never had time but they wanted to do this for yeah. 30 40 years and all i can say is even if it's slow going just explore that aspect of yourself. You won't regret it. Yeah. I know there are certain things about my own abilities that, you know, when I had children, it was sort of on the back burner a little bit, just because you are so busy. I know you're a mother as well that I, like for me, I was just so busy. And then my life was just sort of stressful. Just, you know, there was a lot of things going on at one point and it, you sort of have it there and it's always there kind of going, Hey, like, uh, Come, come back here. Like we've got some answers. Yes, you know? Hello. hello. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's quite a quite an interesting thing. I'm I'm not a I'm not a medium like the way you are. I we both had the pleasure of watching you work at I believe it was the I am yeah, festival I am just, a couple yeah. of years almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. So that was really neat. I had seen what you do on TV or, you know, things like that. So it was really nice to actually witness someone doing it in person and feeling what they were doing. And it was a really great experience. Oh, I'm glad you were there. Yeah, yeah. I, I missed that. I missed the in-person events and all of that, but hopefully soon. Um, and yeah, with mediumship, I mean, it's, 
I mean, I know there's people who still say, well, it's, you know, not real and that's perfectly fine. I'm never there to change anyone's mind or to prove anything. Right. But the thing with mediumship is that, you know, it has to be evidential, which means that whatever comes through, it needs to be information that I couldn't possibly know. And, you know, I, I've probably given thousands of readings by now. And even to this day, it surprises me what kind of information comes forward and is so validated by the sitter. Mm. And that's why I keep, you know, wanting to do this. I could never, um, I mean, and, and I can't stress enough that it's not me that does this it's spirit. I'm just simply the messenger. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for my team of spirit guides that works with me. Um, and I, I couldn't do this without them, but it's, it, it, sometimes I meet people who have been, let's say, grieving for 20 years and they've done counseling, they've done, you know, all sorts of healing modalities. And sometimes in half an hour with, the, you know, they get matched up with the right medium and the right information comes through. It's like everything shifts. And for that to take place and to actually be witness to that taking place and seeing how somebody all of a sudden they relax, their whole body relaxes because now they know without a shadow of a doubt that their loved one is with them. And it's, you know, that there's life after her life and, and all of that. It, it's indescribable that, what, what that transformation can look like for somebody. And that's why I, I always recommend if, if you are grieving and after several months, you know, book a reading with a reputable medium. And, um, you know, this can provide such a healing experience for you. Nice. So I, I guess right now you do readings um, not in person, I guess, I'm guessing. So you probably do them over Zoom. So mm -hmm. if people wanted to connect with you, they they could absolutely. that way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, you, and you work with people not only here in Manitoba, but everywhere. all over the world. Like even before, yeah. well before the pandemic, I've been reading for people all over the world. Oh, that's cool. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. And what I love is that you know, um, say for like spirit guides, for instance, I never knew if we all have the same kind of spirit guides. I've read for people in. Africa and all over Europe and South America and uh, Asia. And it's amazing to me how these guides still come through and give such pertinent, accurate, amazing advice and guidance to every single person. It's, it's absolutely um, astounding to me. Oh, that's fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. So has there ever been anything in your life, like I know for myself, there's been certain unexpected things that happen sometimes, whether it's with your health or you know, other things that happen that kind of steer you, like, has anything ever steered you off course? Or have you felt that what you do, you've actually been able to help yourself more because of, because of what you do and what you believe in oh, how you work? I mean, yeah, like, I, I mean, I definitely, I'm very open about the fact that I was very ill several years ago. And mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. That was actually, I, I think, part of a catalyst for me moving into the death doula work, because um, there, there was just so much that was going on. Mm. Um, nothing's ever steered me away from mediumship for sure. Uh, I know some people kind of don't become a medium or work as a medium until something catastrophic, like near death experience or death of a loved right. one. For me, that wasn't the case. I, I grew up basically knowing that this is what I am and this is what I'll do. But through my own illness and preparing for my possible death, because I wasn't sure what was going to happen, mm. um, that made me really inclined to work with people who are um, dying or who are facing potential life-limiting illness and um, you know I like to share that with people who are death phobic who you know don't want to make the plans who don't want to um, talk about it because it's almost like if I talk about it then I'm jinxing it and it's like well we're mm. gonna have to face it one way or another so right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds wonderful. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Where can people connect with you? Is do you have an email or or I think you have a website? We could probably we'll put that up on the. Well, my, my business name my business name is the Spirit Guided Path. You'll find me under Facebook, Instagram, um, online like that. Um, and uh, my email is just spiritguidedpath at gmail.com. And email is the best way to get a hold of me. I'm, as you say, a very busy mom as well as uh, mm-hmm. and medium. Um, but I often will host, you know, free guided meditations, um, free online grief circles, as well as the free death cafes. Um, so I like to give back in this way to offer support, guidance, and a place, a safe space for people to talk about whatever's going on for them, whether they're wanting to talk about death and dying or, you know, to talk about their grief. And, you know, I offer, also offer many uh, courses and workshops. We just did one last month for connecting with loved ones in spirit, which can be great for those who aren't interested in pursuing mediumship, but really want to connect with their loved ones. And I'll be doing that again in the autumn. Oh, and, excellent. Yeah, there's a lot of fun workshops we can do and even online for right now. And then again, in person one day. So yeah, everything's on my website. Uh, I updated as much as I can. I do have a newsletter that I don't send out often, but you know, it has all the information about upcoming events. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely share your website mm-hmm. on the description for the podcast. And thank you very much for joining us today. This was great to learn more about what you do and how you're helping people. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Door. We enjoyed our discussion and hope you did too. Until next time, we are Kelly and Kelly.